Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another version of uh, Bill Roden on Sports here at MetLife Stadium, where the uh, Jets look yet another Another bump on the chin this time to Seattle uh, to to Seattle um, Seahawks here with uh, my friend and co-host great Jamal Murphy. Great to be here as usual, and uh, here of course with the crew production crew Raisa Kelly on uh, video and uh, Kevin Keating who survived a I mean, survived a clash with uh, the Russell Wilson bodyguard clan, but you know he got a shot so you'll see it, <laughs> and uh, here with a. Uh, Really special guest, uh, big guest, man. A close friend, great journalist, great guy uh, in general. Uh, great Thomas Thomas George. Uh, this is really cool, man. Uh, Thomas George is a national columnist for uh, SB Nation. Done this for about three three years now. Uh, first of all, Thomas, it's an honor, as they say, and a pleasure to have you on Bill Roden on Sports, my brother. Thank you for being here. I feel the same way, Bill. It's great to see you. Yeah, no, it's great, man. We're surviving. Yeah. <laughs> They're still paying us and shit. <laughs> getting these paychecks coming out. Um, Keep giving them checks. That's what they say. Them checks, man. But actually, but but actually, just really enjoying still uh, what we do. Just a brief thing. I mean, you know, uh, Thomas. And we, we first of all, we are colleagues at the New York Times. Um, you know, I was there for a while. I mean, I was there for a long time. But then Thomas. We overlapped for 17 years. Yeah, 17. Wow. That unbelievable. That was 17 years. 17 years, yeah, man. It's a lot. How many sports editors was that? Oh, there's a few. <laughs> yeah, I, I, let's yeah. see. Uh, Joe Vecchione for Vecchio's me. Oh, Vecchione hired, hired you. Absolutely. Right, right. Yes. And then Lori Mifflin. Lori Mifflin. With her. Who else? Then um, uh, Neil Lambder. Neil Lambder. Good guy, right? Mm -hmm. Neil was good. Sensational. Um, I always remember, I said, man, Thomas, uh, Man, because you know you, you know whenever the expense reports were roll in, you know it's like wow, man, really, Thomas, give us a break. With me, it's like where are they? It's like well, Thomas, damn, here they are. <laughs> hey, brother, we got to cover the news, man. You know we just can't cover it anyway. Well, they're sending me around the nation. It costs to go around the nation. <laughs> I wasn't going over the Hudson. <laughs> uh, Tom, you, you came to uh, the Times from the Detroit Free Press, right? That is correct. Yeah, and uh, but you've also been with the Denver Post, uh, AOL, NFL.com, uh, the NFL Magazine, and you were the NFL Network's first managing editor. And, man, and you're getting ready to come up with your third book and your first NFL Center book in the fall of 2017. What is that? What, what's that book going to be? It's going to be a book centered on the making of quarterbacks. Oh, so wow. It's going to be a fascinating piece study. Oh, that's great. The board. Well, because I think we once collaborated on something uh, when you were at the – it was a, a documentary about the quarterbacks, right, mm -hmm. about black quarterbacks. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, we did that at the network as well, uh, a huge, huge uh, uh, historical piece and got a chance to talk to some of the guys uh, before they passed, uh, mm. you know, who were really a big part of that as well. And the, 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 not only the quarterback situation but the integration of the league situation. Mm. And so – yeah, so so, so what is this book going to be? This book is going to be about all just the position itself. A, a historical perspective as well as a current one. As in, it's uh, the physical and mental, I assume? I think the whole gamut of it, you know, uh, family, background, wow. uh, teaching, philosophy, 
uh, why Carson Wentz isn't good enough to play for the Cleveland Browns, but yet is for the Eagles. Okay, uh, okay, uh, all, all across the board. Because you just can't. You 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 came up here, but you would spend some time with Russell Wilson. I did. Who I find to be maybe one of the. I think Russell Wilson may be one of the most fascinating people in the league. Uh, Tom Brady is fascinating because. He, he, he just wins and all that, but he loses points because this whole thing with Trump, I, <laughs> you know. But 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 Russell just—he's just a very fascinating guy. His, his his family background. Do you find it very fascinating? I have to say I do, and I I, I find it fas- fascinating to watch the way he plays and the reactions he gets. Mm. Going into this game, there was some local commentary, and it was very strong about how. Uh, of course, the Jets have the advantage here because mm-hmm. Russell Wilson isn't 100%, and he's only a guy who can make it happen on the edges and on the move. He's not a pocket passer. Let's not kid ourselves. This was the thought. This right. was the rhetoric. Right. And and so, certainly the, the guy goes out here and throwing from the pocket all day long and just <laughs> slicing them right. to pieces. I found it really – but the complete package of who he is and how he conducts himself – is really truly worth uh, examination, and it's a model for any young quarterback because he almost handles himself as a CEO of an organization. And I'm sure Pete Carroll has had a lot to do with the molding of him in that way. But I just saw him in the game uh, complete passes to nine different receivers. Mm. And then I just saw him downstairs mm. once all of his press conferences were done, which he handled uh, beautifully, <laughs> and, uh, and is sharing with his teammates. I just saw him with his family, and there was at least 20 of them there, wow. uncles and aunts and, and cousins, his wife his, and, and all. He took time for every single one of the people in that party, took pictures with every single member. Nobody in that group left without feeling wanted or feeling some attention from mm, him. Yep. Mm. I was a witness and to that. All and that. you saw it, yep. Jamal. Yep. And and so I'm like, wow, the patience that it takes to play quarterback on the field is one thing. And then all of the dynamics of patience that are required off the field as well are the kinds of things, uh, the lack of that type of patience and the lack of that type of Understanding are the things that get quarterbacks in trouble. Right, right. You know, and and so he is winning off the field as well as he's winning on the field. And a lot of it has to do with the makeup and the understanding. I think he has of what it takes. What what what's what are you going to do with him in, in terms of your book? He, uh, clearly, he's going to be a big part of your book. Is, is, are you interviewing it? Were you interviewing it, or this was for SB Nation, or what was? Uh, Today I did a a combination of both. Uh, He'll definitely be a part of my column for tomorrow with SB Nation, but certainly in this book as we move forward, um, and and by the time the book is published, he will possibly have won his second Super Bowl. Wow. So that that a lot of it depends on what happens, right. you know. Uh, and, you, and you obviously think that's very possible. Well, not only do I think it's possible, they think it's possible, right. and I think that's the key. I just visited with Earl Thomas down there, and he said something to me that lingered. He was saying that uh, uh, there's a feeling with this team, and Pete Carroll said it to me uh, um, also before I came up. There's a there's a feeling with this team. We just have more joy, he said, in our locker room after this victory than we've had in a long, long uh-huh. time. He said, and I think part of it came because, comes from the fact that we started out slow offensively, but now they see 
what's capable with us offensively, and now we're starting to click. And if we get our offense right, the defense is going to be right. Right, right. That's what their feeling is. And so they're really excited about where they are at 3-1 and one right. with a bye, right. with two weeks to get him even more healthy. Uh, so, so there's a good karma going on there. There's a good feeling going on there. And here is the key thing that Earl Thomas said about all of that is, I was like, wow, there's, I, I definitely feel the spirit this year. And he goes, man. It's like old times. <laughs> exactly. And, and old times for them was back-to-back Super Bowls. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and they started off rough last year. What were they la- after the first four games? It was like one in three, maybe, yeah, something was, like yeah, that. Yeah, it was bad. So they were struggling. They still made the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? Or did they, they did. Make, they made the playoffs yeah. last year. Yeah. Um, but to, to start out now three and one, and obviously they're not where they're going to be. Nobody is yet. But they must have that confidence going forward, like, this could be it. I think you're right, Jamal, because they know they can play in November and December and January. So if they ever get like a fast start like this, then it really bodes well for them for the future. And, and Jimmy Graham, to me, is, has been big because I, when they first got Jimmy Graham, you know, I was excited for the for Seattle. I thought that you know Russell Wilson and Jimmy Graham you know, that could be that could create big things. But it never materialized last year, and not even the, you know first couple of games this year. And then last week he had a good game, and then to build on it this week. They could be scary. It really could. And I always got the feeling that there was something wrong in the connection and in the communication there. I almost got the feeling that the Seattle players who've sort of built this sort of family, nuts and bolts, really close bond, sort of viewed him as an outsider, even though he was part of the team. I don't think they really embraced him fully. And maybe part of that was because he didn't make himself available in a way to be embraced. But now we're two years into this thing with him. And now I think some of that has shifted and worked itself out. And he's healthy. He has been banged up a lot, but he's healthy now. Right. And so I guarantee you that I got the feeling again that there's a there's a chemistry there that is go- clicking all across the board with this team. But, but also if Jimmy Graham is not only going to be healthy, but also be involved and also be accepted and then go make the catches that he made today, that's it. Leave it to the Jets. You're Jets, Jamal, and Kevin Keating over here. Leave it to the Jets to get people healthy. You know, there are certain teams, that's basically their role. That's basically their role in life is to basically be Dr. Feelgoods for the other team. And so, you know, the Jets obliged, and here comes Seattle kind of, on the roll, and the Jets made them feel tremendous about this. You know, uh, I was talking about Ethan Kelly. We were in the Jets, <laughs> the Jets locker room, and and it was kind of like this. Mm. Mm. Then we go into the Seattle locker room, and the firecrackers, and the hip hop, oh. and the blah blah. It was like the celebratory music. But you know, it, it's funny. I, I wanted to get back to um to Russell because I think it's really important to get back to that. And it's so interesting the doubts. I mean, now here's a guy who came within one throw of, of, of winning two Super Bowls. In the, and, and you know that if this guy was like a white guy, you know, and had done that in a short period of time, he'd be running for office now. He'd be either on <laughs> somebody's ticket. He'd either right. be on Hillary's ticket or Trump's ticket, whatever. Right. There'd be stadiums and all. But now here he is, what, five years into the, five years into the thing, and there's this kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm. The Jets of all people. Yeah. You know, it's, there's still this kind of doubt and this kind of, well, and I always, you know, Thomas, we always talk about this. I always see this almost sort of symbolic of what a lot of black folks have to go through in the corporations. No matter how good you are, no matter how 
well, how much? There's always, yeah, but, yeah, you know, but I don't know. Is it kind yeah. of, well, let's one more right. Can he do this or yeah, can he do that? But and there's a reason for what he's doing. And Russell came into the league. Man, this guy came into the league as a winner right. to me. I mean, I know Pete Carroll probably had something to do, with, but this dude came in winning ball, you know, just as a winner. And it's almost like people want to use his strength strengths as a weakness right. because – if you look, if you watch football and, and know anything about football and the quarterback position, he's always been able to throw from the pocket. You don't, you don't, you're not successful in the league. You, de- you definitely don't win a Super Bowl Absolutely. without being able to throw from the pocket. Right. And it's just because he has the ability right. to, you know, to to run, to to get out of the pocket, to you know, to run and slide. He's also the smartest. Uh, quarterback runner I've ever seen in terms of knowing exactly when to and get knows, down. Right. Doesn't take hits no, he that does, often. He does not take the big you know? hits. But it's almost like because he can do this something extra, all of a sudden now there's questions about whether he can you know pass from the from the pocket, which is crazy. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah I mean it's really insane but I'm so happy for him and I guess I um, I guess I saw the, the depth of his roots. My um, my internist is a guy like Dr. Tom Price. All right, Tom. Uh, Tom Price who, who played at Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. And he was a captain of the Dartmouth team, and I think went undefeated. And just once during an examination, he said, yeah, well, you know, you ought to talk to Russell Wilson's uncle, who was a teammate of mine. I said, well, he's, oh, no, he's an attorney down in uh, D.C. I said, oh, wow, really? Uh, and so I met him. He was a great guy. And he also played at Dartmouth, as did Russell's dad. And, they, and Tom knew all these guys. He knew each one of them. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we talked about uh, their, you know, their, their father, who was a president I know he coached. He coached at Jackson State, and then he was a president at Norfolk State. Mm-hmm. So I'm at HBCU. So I said, "Man, this guy, his roots, his roots in blackness and the whole thing go real deep." Because you know how we get sometimes. Well, is he really, you know, mm-hmm. his brother? No, this guy's a brother. Now, mm-hmm. whether he chooses to, you know, raise his fist in the air or whatever, but I think he's a very solid guy. He's a very solid. Guy. He is, and 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 he's a work in progress. Uh, I like the fact that he understands that he doesn't know it all. Uh, not only as a quarterback, but as a young man, and he, he looks like he he is continually growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely see um, some of the hesitancy to embrace him. I definitely see some of the racist ideas that go along with him. I know that he's seen it and felt it. I know that there was a lot of conversation, uh, again, this week about him not being a pocket passer. Therefore, um, the the Jets had the advantage. And I kind of got the feeling from the way he played that he was aware because he does have a great deal of self-awareness and natural awareness. I almost got the feeling that he and Daryl Bevel, the, the offensive coordinator, were aware of some of the conversation that was going on and they made it a point to make a few points today and I really thought they did that with an exclamation point. How do you feel as far as his own team, the Seahawks, how do, how do they embrace uh, Russell Wilson? What's the relationship he has with his teammates? From what I've seen, uh, they have come uh, to know each other and appreciate each other. I think when he first walked through the door, there were a group of people in the room who didn't come from the same background, yeah, right, who didn't right. have the same exposures right. that you were talking about, mm-hmm. Bill. And uh, mm-hmm. I think they kind of uh, found a, were a little reluctant in, in 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 really getting to know him and certainly in embracing him. But Russell has an infectious way of the more you're around him, the more you can't help but 
like him. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because there is a genuine nature there. I ask him, um, and so I think that's where we are in that locker room. I think all of them understand, accept, and embrace him from what I've seen in that locker room. I, I ask him about the question, the thought that we started out with here from my perspective was he threw the ball to nine different receivers uh, with a great deal of uh, touch and resiliency. And then he had more than 20 family members who he <laughs> spread himself around, right. you know, in a, the most gracious manner that one could possibly do. Right. And when I asked him about it and, and said basically those words and how is that possible, he said, well, that's my family, man. Mm. That's just love, man. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to work at in my family. Well, we know that some people do have to work. So, so you know, but so I don't think it's just that. I think it's his approach, and I think it's an appreciative approach in his circle. And also, three hundred nine yards passing and three TDs will help out too. That's right. That's right. And Mary and and, and Mary Rihanna. I mean, I, I mean, that uh, Sierra. 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 I'm sorry. Close. Close. Rihanna. Sierra. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> what? I think I counted 11 goodbye kisses. It was uh, oh, yeah, from yeah. zero. Goodbye. And then it was, I saw and three. It was, and then back. It was and, a beautiful oh, thing. Oh, it was, a, it, it was at least 11. <laughs> and if you look at 11. That's and, a lot and, of love. And if you look at uh, Kevin Keating, got a nice shot, right, that yeah, you'll yeah. probably see somewhere. That was really good. Mm -hmm. Listen, let's, um, we'll, we'll spend like five seconds on the Jets. Just because, yeah. you know, we have a lot of Jets fans, or the diminishing sure. by the second, I'm sure. Mm. What's wrong? I mean, you know, I, clearly I like Todd Bowles. I, I, I'm always pulling for brothers to succeed. Not that I'm not pulling for anybody else to succeed, but, you know, we all, you study the history of the United States, you know that whatever we do, whether it's somebody the CEO of American Express, it's always hard right. for us to make it. So it's, whether it's Dean Backhead, the New York Times, the Times, or whatever, I'm pulling for black people to make it because it's just hard, man. It's twice as hard. Having said that, mm -hmm. you know, Todd is in a Todd's in a tough spot, man. I mean, he's like one in three, and uh, you know, Todd doesn't. I mean, Todd, you know, he's a very basic guy. I mean, he doesn't, you know, give you a big show in the press room. I mean, he kind of just there. And very matter of fact, um, I'm just concerned, you know, that um, this that that this ship got to be right at pretty I've soon. been concerned for a while and and I tell you there is there's there's concern for the present there's concern for the future they're going to have to do something dramatic something spectacular to change the course of the season because I don't know how many people if any are going to choose them to win at Pittsburgh and win at Arizona and there's the next two games so it's wow. not only one and three but they really really are staring at one and five unless they oh. do something Dramatic, like change quarterbacks. <laughs> hey, so so but to Gino. I mean, can, yeah. listen, Gino can do this. Yeah, he can do what what Ryan Fitzpatrick is doing. He can do that. Yeah, right. Spe he can do this spectacularly. I mean, yeah, he could. Yeah. Gino could do that. He's yeah. proven it. Yeah, he could do that, man. At least he could escape. And, yeah, you know. I I didn't like the whole situation with Gino with him punched in the jaw and the whole way that was handled. I didn't like Todd's. Uh, dealings with that it, it set off alarm bells for me in what is he running what type of ship he's running there are certain coaches that no matter what happens that's not happening because the coach has set an edict from top down this is the way we conduct business this is the way we are i think that there are coaches across this league started with bill belichick where that player ike who did the punch would have thought twice and knew this is, hey, I'm not doing this because I know I do this. Not only do I lose my job, 
but I may not even get another one once Belichick starts talking to other people <laughs> right. about me. Right, right. So, 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 but, but, what was what was going on in that situation there, where this guy is comfortable enough to do something like that? Well, what it tells me is what's going on is that Tabo's has created an environment, has created a situation where that could happen. And so when you look at that and then you look at the game in Buffalo, uh, a great job of turning his franchise around, and you're at Buffalo with a chance to win, right. playing against the coach who you replaced. It's a game you have to win. And the way they played there, I, I don't know if the connectors all the way through with what his program is and what he's, and what he's preaching and, again, top down what he's building is all messy. It may take time, and, and it may take more time, and usually it does. But there's some signs here and some alarm bells here that, again, with certain coaches, you're not going to get all right. of the time but that with, you mean, may need. I mean, but with all due respect to my former colleague, you know, I mean, this does it does take time. Remember, Belichick got fired at Cleveland, so he wasn't he wasn't the whole you know he got fired at Cleveland. I think sometimes, and you listen, you've been around for a long time. Sometimes it just takes it takes time. Now maybe the the larger question is: No matter how much time, do you have the personality? Do you have the right. the? It's not at this level. It's not X's and O's. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows the same pretty much X's and O's. It's this other stuff. Do you have uh, all all your players? Are they your guys? Are, are they you know system guys? And I'm looking at this team, you know, and I'm looking at the quarterback. And you're right, and it just could be a huge problem because. It, it, there may not be an answer on the roster, you know. And and even with the Jets, man, it's like you you some te Why do some teams always find the right person, mm -hmm. and some teams never find the right people, you know? So I don't know. Um, I just hope that just for, for selfish sake to have some excitement in this market, that he turns us around. But I'm like looking at this team, and it doesn't seem like they're playing with inspiration. But again, it's only four games. Mm -hmm. Right. And they could end up be twelve and four. Yeah, there's a chance. Right? I mean, uh, I definitely don't see them winning at Pittsburgh, although that could happen. But maybe because he came from Arizona, he knows a lot of that personnel, and he's going back there. That maybe they have a chance, you know, to do something in Arizona, and maybe that's where something good happens for them. But uh, he is in New York, right? You know, he is, uh, you know, on Broadway, and there are certain things that are, are, that are expected to happen here. Uh, more so than in other places. Except, right. except you're with a franchise that hasn't won a championship in like, what, since 1969. So. Right. Yeah, but you're with an owner that doesn't have the patience that and some of these other right. teams, Jets in history, may have had. And it's New York City, and I totally agree with you going back to last year. And you have a, you have one game. I'm a Jet fan. I mean, you have one game to get in the playoffs, and you're playing your your old coach, right? And you don't show up for right. that game, right. and then you come back and you're one in three this year, and you know there's. This probably doesn't mean anything, but you know, very soft-spoken guy. Very. I think I think when when people look at him from the outside in, they're like, oh, you know, it doesn't seem like he has that coach mentality. Fine. And then if you you know if you don't win, that's just that's just going to further that right. That, Absolutely. You know, belief. Because you're you're right. Because Rex Ryan BS people for a number <laughs> right. of years. Right. Just because he had the whole Reverend Ike, yep. uh, you know, kind of thing, and uh, and uh, you know, he did have a he he came in in a good situation. Mm -hmm. You know, for the first couple of years, but then after a while, it's, it's kind of 
where it's then. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so you know, we'll see. I hope what happens. Listen, Tommy. Well, wait a minute now. You're yeah. the one who said when we what? first got started. I, I don't even think we all know yet, but mm-hmm. you're dead right. And mm-hmm. that was, hey, win, and if at least if you're not going to win, entertain us. Give us, give us <laughs> a show. That's New well, York. That, that's give us New a York. show. Yeah, no, that's, that's it. That's New York. I wanted, but you brought it up. I mean, <clears> you know, if either way, you you you, you got to give us. If you're losing, I'm looking at Herm Edwards or. Um, uh, uh, we just talked about Rex, uh, Rex Ryan. Okay, you get an extra year because <laughs> right. you're just so damn entertaining. <laughs> right. And Herm, you know, Herm, man, just got to get the game. Right. <laughs> you know, people can't wait to see What's Herm going to say now? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you know, and the same thing with Ryan, man, for like first three years, man. What's this guy, you know, taking on Bill Belichick and all that? So it is a shtick and all that. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it gets to the point of, man, you ain't won no game. <laughs> right. So, but, but, you can't, but you can't just be, you know, Kind of vanilla, and not give us a show, and then lose. I mean, right. you, you got it one way or the other. Right. You or, can't be Belichick without winning. Yeah, no, no. Trust me, as he found out in Cleveland, absolutely said you got to give us. And so, and so Belichick, I think he realized after he got fired in Cleveland, he said this will never happen again. Mm-hmm. By hook or crook, as we know now, mm-hmm. crook. Yeah, you know, said this yep. will not happen yep. again. If I if yep. I go down. I'm going to go down guns blazing. (laughs) Well, here's another problem for now, uh, and it is a very central problem, Mm -hmm. and that is that he is a defensive whiz. He comes to the Jets being a man known for being able to put together a game plan, execute a defense, and have a top five defense. Well, his defense got torched out there today. Right. I mean, they're throwing the ball left, right, center. Uh, you know, Russell, as you mentioned, 309 yards, three touchdowns. Where are the turnovers on the defense? Where's the, the, the fumbles right. that are picked up and ran back for, you know, 70 yards for a touchdown? Where's, you know, where is the strength? Why isn't the strength the thing that he does the best? Why isn't that the focal point of what <laughs> this team is? And that's always a problem when you hire a guy and he has a staple and the staple doesn't show up. That's right. You know, since we're talking about bowls, I I was down in the locker room in the somber Jets locker room, and uh, they play a couple of sound clips of, about what Todd uh, said. First, you know, the first one they said, uh, just generally, Todd. I mean, what do you think? I mean, one and three, this looks kind of bleak. And this is what he said about that. Sometimes you got to fight more than one battle to win a war. Uh, you know, we fought two battles two weeks in a row, and we lost. But the season's not over. It's one and three. But we got to grind. We got to get better. And we're going to do that next week. We got to get better. And then um, after that, they asked him, um, you know, the, the big question is, well, what about the quarterback? Because clearly that's the segment. And, you know, he, he said what he said, you'll hear, he, it wasn't a ringing endorsement. <laughs> yeah, but this is what he said about Ryan Fitzpatrick. He started out playing decent. Obviously, the two picks at the end, one should have been caught. That was dropped. And the other one, he's just trying to make a play. But he played better than he played last week. And finally, you know, after that, uh, they asked, well, you know, people are starting to talk, <laughs> you know. So we got the question. He, oh, no, yeah. I'm surprised they didn't start with that. No, no. <laughs> well, you know, it kind of, again, it's okay. Good, that's the good guy. Right. The soften good him guy up, part. soften him up a little. Yeah. I then finally asked him, well, you know, people, people are starting to talk. <laughs> and this is what he said about that. I don't worry about what people say. I mean, he knows he can't have turnovers. Some of them are unfortunate and not the quarterback's fault, nevertheless. Quarterback runs the offense, so he can't have the turnovers. But we got to get better there. Hey, Tom. But listen, in, in just the last couple of minutes that we that we got you here, man, there's been so much happening in this league, man. I mean, that has nothing to do with football. Clearly, there's uh, Colin Kaepernick. I'm just wondering what you think about that. I mean, you and I talk about this kind of stuff over the, the decades, just about 
black stuff and black folks and protests. What 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 do you make of um, uh, of of Colin Kaepernick and the, and and I guess the movement that created? Um, yeah, just just what are some I'm of the excited stuff like uh, and I'm happy that we're even having the conversation now. For so long in this league, uh, it was very much a Michael Jordan type effect: hands off, back up. You know, we're the number one league. This is football. Don't do anything to distract uh, the other 53. You know, stay regimented. And you didn't have um, players in numbers taking a stance for pretty much anything other than their contracts right. and other than, you know, their attempts to win Super Bowls. So th- there's been a question for a long time, uh, and Jim Brown has led that question uh, for some time. When are some of these young particularly African-American men, but really all the players in the NFL, when are they going to start to have a level of activism? When are they going to start to have a level of involvement? And when are they going to stop being so self-centered and safe and stand up for justice and what's right? And you have to really give Colin Kaepernick a great deal of credit. I think history will show that he will stand right along with uh, Carlos and, mm. and, and, and Ali and many others who took a controversial road on the way to a critical road of enlightenment. Uh, so so I, I don't think there can be enough involvement by these players. I don't think there can be enough statements. Um, and I think we're really just at the cusp of it, Bill. I think it's going to, because it's, it's, it's affected young men in college and it's affected young men in high school and they're all sort of beginning to pay attention a little more and be a little more aware and that's a great thing. And what I like about it, Thomas, is that what they're finding out is that, wait a minute, man, they can't fire all of us, that that we are the league. <laughs> right, and, and, you, know, the league. you can't have it both ways. All of, and it's almost like this kind of the light goes off. So wait a Absolutely. minute. We, we're like 69% of the league, 70% mm-hmm. of the NBA. What are they going to do? Absolutely. They're going to fire all of us? They, they, and they want to win? Yeah. And they don't want to be in a position where they think that they're taking one guy and flogging him, taking him out in the middle of the yard and flogging him. So please don't do that. Right. So it's almost like there's a self-reason. What, you know, the, the, where the light bulb is, wait a minute. We are the league. You yeah. guys aren't going to like, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, there's power in numbers. We, know, we do know that. But also... Uh, you know, that's why I give Colin so, uh, Kaepernick so much credit because when he started, there wasn't numbers. There was one. Right, right, right. You know, and it, it takes that one to do that. And I've heard people say, you touched on a great thing there, Bill, um, about the group dynamic and about what are they going to do, they, and to me meaning the league and ownership. I talked to some people who said, well, it, it's Jed York in San Francisco. Uh, this is partly his fault. He should have stood up and put his foot down and said, right. not with my franchise and not with my team, and you can't do this. I really believe that if Jed York had done that <laughs> <laughs> with, the, with the teammates and with the people right. around him and in, the in Bay that area. locker room, absolutely, <laughs> he, that was a, there was no way that that would have gone off right. uh, without being even as explosive as the statement that Kaepernick right. was making. And another part of it is the fans, right? Because the fans of the NFL will make, you know, have made their voices heard in terms of, you know, a lot, uh, you know, it seems at least the loudest voices you hear are the ones that say, shut up and play. We don't want to hear you at all. And, and obviously that played a role into why a lot of people didn't come out in previous years since the, you know, the Jordan era you brought up. Right. Um, it, you know, the fans played a big role, and, I, and it's just a great thing now that the players, you know, it started with one who said, you know, I don't care what these, what you know, what kind of backlash I'm going to get on Twitter or social media or when I go out. 
I'm going to speak my mind. And I even asked uh, uh, Baldwin, Doug Baldwin today, uh, you know, how he felt about, you know, fans who say, just shut up and play. And this is what he said. <laughs> I, have, I have a good comeback for it, but it's, it's not a humble comeback, so I don't want to say it. But uh, you're right. I am going to stick to football, but I'm also going to keep, continue to speak out. So they just have to suck it up and deal with it. So, you know, obviously, you know, like you said, he's not going to stop talking. And, and you know, I thank, I thank him for that because this is what we need, as you said. Right, and, and, you know, even for us as writers, you know, particularly as black writers, I mean, every time you walk through this press box, you just see how how we need a civil rights movement in the press box. I think sports journalism may be one of the regressive areas, uh, pillars of, of not only journalism, but one of the institutions in the world, just how segregated this press box is. And I think that when you put these issues out there, you know, and people start getting nervous because, you know, now we can start talking about this stuff. Now, this ain't just in sports. Absolutely. It's across the board. I mean, in every single institution that you, it could be, the, you know, the brothers and sisters who are on Wall Street and these big firms. It could be the, in a law firm. Jamal, firms. Jamal you, you know, you're a lawyer. Uh, I mean, it's every single institution where black folks are, where this whole little racist thing over the last 400 years, it just continues to infect people. So, so when you've got this major institution of sports and a young brother comes up and says, hey, this stuff ain't right. It has nothing to do with football. Now, there are two issues. Now I think, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, it will be good to look at, you know, if I don't know who his apparel company is, but I think Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, these have been getting the pass. Because if you now look at turn and say, well, wait a minute, how many black folks do you have on your boards? How much business do you guys do with black vendors? You know, then, well, you know, I don't know. You know, so I think that if if now everybody, whether it's basketball, football, now you look in inside your own institution. That's a great place. Your teams, to look. your leagues, the vendors said, hey, let's let's this all starts at home. Absolutely. Now I think people kind of start getting on the hot seat. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's the next level of sophisticated protest. I mean, we're gonna change the economics here because this is the one area where you guys are, okay, don't give me a bunch of shoes, Under Armour equipment. How many, uh, How do you do business with black vendors? How many black folks do you got on my board? So I think this, this, you know, you lift that rock up and you see a whole lot of little termites. So I think it's a, I think it's a real good thing. I totally agree with you, Bill. I, there's nothing that can be added to that because that's the crux of the whole situation. When you start talking about the dollars and you start talking about opportunity, uh, really that's the root of all of it. Mm -hmm. Listen, our guest has been the great Thomas George. He's a national columnist uh, for SB Nation. Beyond that, you've been a great friend, wonderful colleague. Uh, we shared uh, a lot of stories at the New York Times. Now we're both on to bigger and better things. People say, well, how could it be bigger or better? Oh, trust me, it can be. It can be. <laughs> <laughs> Although not to dimension anything. Right. You know, but anyway, it's Thomas, man. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. God bless you, your family. How, how are your kids, by the way? You have, Fantastic. Uh, my my oldest son, Anthony, is 17 wow. and uh, at the Dwight Inglewood Academy and playing left tackle or defensive end oh, wow. while at the same time soaring academically and just on the debate team and ethics team and just a model student and a model ambassador for that school. Mm -hmm. Very proud of him. So you don't mind him playing? Football. I don't mind him playing. As a matter of fact, I want him to play because wow, okay. uh, I want him to be engaged and I don't want him to live his life in fear. I want him to learn proper technique and go out there and play this game because there is a safe way to play it. Uh, my youngest son also plays. He's 14. He's wow, at Fort okay. Lee High School. Uh, he's the only 
uh, ninth grader on the varsity wow. football team. Oh wow! So he's a uh, you know backup running back. He's on the kick teams. He plays receiver, corner. He's he's on his way as well. That's Eli. So oh, they're wow. all well. My wife Tamara, everybody, everybody, really blessed, man. That's great, man. And you are you're from Padu- uh, Paducah, Paducah, uh, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But you were a hell of a baseball player. I mean, I, I I didn't realize that was one of your passions was baseball. That is true, and still still remains. I don't get the chance to see it or write about it as much as I would like. But uh, I'm looking forward to the playoffs and the World Series and the Mets are in it again. They're in it, Clint. Yesterday, right now, yeah, we didn't. I I do want to let you go, but just so you're you're a national columnist with SB Nation, but you do everything. I do. Uh, My focus is the NFL. I spent most of my career, of course, uh, with the NFL. So I I tend to live and reside in that arena um, for about eighty percent of my work, and then the other twenty percent will be spent on baseball, basketball, track, other stories uh, that are are of import. Hey. Listen, Thomas George, uh, thank you very much, man. I look forward to having you back. And uh, we will be back. We're going to take a little brief break, brief, ba- brief break, <laughs> and then we'll be back with uh, Steve Serby. This is like the, this is like Legends time here. <laughs> we'll be right back in a couple seconds. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to yet another episode of Bill Roden on Sports here at uh, MetLife Stadium, where once again the Jets have taken it on the chin. Steve Serby is here. Well, I'm going to save the introduction because, you know, that. Um, but I'm here with, uh, you know, of course, our regular crew here Kevin Keating doing the uh, soundboard and Raisa Kelly on, uh, on camera. And, of course, my friend and my co host, great Jamal Murphy, still holding it down here. Holding it down. Yeah. And, um, now this is quite exciting. Um, I'm gonna, you know, our, our guest today is, um, man, somebody I've known for like years. Probably, let's see, I was, I've been at the Times, I was at the Times for 30, almost 35 years, and we've, I guess, we've been kind of knowing each other ever since then. But so my guest is a great, the legendary Steve Serby, who is a columnist at the uh, New York Post, and somebody. I mean, I think Steve may be one of the most intriguing people on the beat because you see Steve. Everywhere, every sport, every event, and I always and this is going to really be the first time, Steve and I, without like there being beer around Here, or keep something. The, keep the compliments, <laughs> keep the compliments coming. A dollar, Steve? <laughs> that's not enough. Yeah, but no, but no. Seriously, I see Steve Serby has been one of the most intriguing, and it's clearly one of the most versatile people that I've been around. I mean, really, truly, one of the most versatile journalists I've been around. I mean, college basketball, college football. I think we did high school before. Uh, the Knicks. I saw him at, at the Islanders. Yeah, hockey. Did, yeah. did a little yeah. Islanders. Yeah. yeah, I draw the line there. <laughs> <laughs> boxing. But, did a little boxing. Boxing. So, so it's a good formal introduction. Uh, my guest is a great Steve Sturby. Steve, thanks so much for for being uh, being on the show. Well, I'll, I'll be on every week if you'll give me that kind of introduction. <laughs> no, no. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks, Bill. Yeah, no, that's it. Uh, no, man, but thanks so much, man. And um, how long have you been covering the Jets? Well, I started covering the Jets for the New York Post in 1977. That was my beat from 77 to 82, before you were born. (laughs) And uh, and then I started covering the NFL from 83 
but, but you started at the post in 1972. In 72, that's correct. Right. Was that your first? Was that your first job? My first job out of Ohio University. Oh, you went to Ohio I went from University. the Ohio University Post to the New York Post. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you went to Ohio, but you where were you born? Um, I was born in Long Island. Oh, okay. North Massapequa, Long Island. All right. So how did you get from from there to Ohio University? They I mean, besides flying, I know you. A, a fellow that graduated a year before I did went there, and he, it, there was a good. He told me it was a good journalism school, mm. and that was my interest. So that's where I went, Athens, Ohio. Yes, yes, yes. I know. I, yeah, I, I know, but I didn't know. The, for some reason, I was thinking that maybe you went to school around here, like either NYU or something like that. No, I they, no school around here <laughs> would let me in. I had to go out of state. Oh, that's great. So you knew then in high school that you wanted to be that you wanted to get in this racket. Yeah, I did. Of course, back in 1972, as you right. well know, the, the business, the industry was a lot different than it is right. now. I wouldn't recommend going to journalism, unfortunately, into really? newspapers. Into newspapers now, it was a lot different. There were so many more newspapers back then than there are right. now. But um, I took creative writing in high school. Mm -hmm. I love writing. Mm -hmm. I grew to love writing. Mm -hmm. I love sports. So I said, I put it together. Let's see, sports. <laughs> I love sports. I love writing. Let me be a sports writer. <laughs> very, tough. <laughs> very tough. Tough job. And here I am, uh, 75 years later. I know, I know. And, uh, but you, you started in 72 at the Post, but then you, there was a little thing, right, when you left the Post and you switched yep. to the, the arch-hated, arch-rival Daily News. Well, I, unfortunately at that time, I thought my worst fear was that the Post was going to go under. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, it didn't. I went to the Daily News for 16 months, and then when Rupert Murdoch regained control of the Post, the sports editor who he rehired hired me back. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been back ever since uh, 1994. Wow. What was it like? I'm just curious, when you went to the dark side, what was that like being at the Daily News? It was different. I was no longer covering football. I was covering the Mets. I covered the 93 Mets, who lost 103 <laughs> games. Wow. It, this, this team was worse than the worst team money could buy. <laughs> Jeff Torborg was oh the manager. <laughs> he was fired in May. Fired that. in May. And uh, Dallas Green basically was the best quote on the, on the team. That's he right. was the saving grace. <laughs> well, and then in the, in the bottom of the ninth inning in Miami, in, the, in the, the last game of the year, bottom of the ninth inning, rain delay. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> you know, the, I, I mentioned this before. So we, we've covered a lot of stuff together. But the, one of the famous pictures was a picture of you. It was 1981, right? Richard Todd. And I guess, I don't know what happened, but there's a picture of him. Like, you, you, you got into it or something, but he was, like, either strangling you or trying to strangle you. But... I, I always remember that picture. You just, for all the people who are like not bored yet, but I mean, I'm like that. I mean, that's when Sturby officially became like my hero. <laughs> this guy, I mean, because most of your athletes were kind of like not, you know, they were kind of like not like you or say something. But I mean, this guy was so pissed. I mean, what happened? You know, you told me you wouldn't bring that up. <laughs> well, I'm taking a page out of the New York Post. Yeah, we had to get as you told, on somehow. As told to All Rose right. Pie. Well, here's, here's the whole story. Yeah, tell us. As told never, to Roden on Sports. I've never, I've never heard the whole story. You know, okay, I've all right. Um, it was November 4th, 1981, I believe, was the date. <laughs> a Wednesday before a game. Uh, I had written a column about Todd, Richard Todd, and the headline of the column was, with Todd at helm, Jets will never win Super Bowl. And right. sometimes I blame the headline writers, but not this time. Right. And, and it was, you turned out to be right. Yeah. 
Well, I was right. But <laughs> the quarterback I favored at that time was Matt Robinson. I thought mm. he had more charisma. Mm. Didn't have the arm or the physical tools that Todd did, but he he got New York. Todd never got New York. Mm. He was overwhelmed. He had he, Todd was the guy that replaced Joan Amos. Right. Uh, he was from Alabama. From from the <laughs> right. So New York was the worst possible place for Richard Todd right. to start his NFL career. So Todd was upset. He was angry at me, and I knew it. And I avoided him a little for a little while after that article. And then one day, myself and Ed Engels from CBS yeah, Radio, right. yeah, yeah, who Todd was also angry <laughs> with, we we decided we we would try to patch things up with Todd. Uh-oh. So we got into this confrontation. Todd and I started. He started cursing at me. I I probably cursed back at him. <laughs> And told him not to tell me how to act, or or he was he was told me don't tell me how to act. He said mm-hmm. that to me, and I said I'm not telling you how to act. And I had a notebook at my side that was pre tape recorder. Right, right. Oh man, that's right. So I'm standing yeah. in the in the middle of the locker room, and Todd's looking at me, and I have this terrible feeling that he's about to attack me. Mm. And my feeling was <laughs> was absolutely right. Charged towards me in the locker. No. In in the locker. Uh-huh. Yeah. Some most of the Jets were already out at practice. He grabbed my throat mm. with wow. his right hand, pushed my head back into a locker. Oh my god! And I slumped to the bottom of the locker, and then he ran out. And I remember I must have blacked out for a few minutes. I remember oh, wow. lo- I remember looking up and seeing Mark Astineau there. <laughs> Which is scary enough. Scary uh, no, in anytime, itself. Anytime Gastineau comes to the rescue, you know, you're yeah. Where was he when I needed him? But and he said to me, I remember him saying to me, uh, "Your nose looks broken. You better get to a hospital." Oh wow. Well, my nose wasn't broken, but I was really shaken up, hmm. and I was transported to the East Meadow, whatever they call it, the local hospital by Larry Weissman. Oh man, Larry Weissman. <laughs> and what happened in there was. Um, they examined me. They decided I didn't need to stay overnight, but they knew I was shaken up. But I ran into this whack job of a lady roaming the halls, and I asked her for a Band-Aid for, for a scratch on my nose. She gave me the Band-Aid, and our photographer, Bob Olin, snapped a picture of me with the Band-Aid. <laughs> and the next day, I wake up, and... There's a huge <laughs> picture of me on the back page of the Post wearing this Band-Aid. And the, the headline was, was a classic New York Post headline. Todd assaults our man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But what was frightful uh, about that was for the next two weeks, I got crank calls. I had somebody uh, slit a tire in my parking spot. Wow. At, at the Jets facility? At the Jets facility. No, no, I, I'm sorry. At my at my home in in Bayside. Oh wow! In my outdoor park, and I remember going to the hardware store and I bought this this metal object that I would carry around with me because I, you know, I lived in fear at that time. <laughs> but but ironically, that Sunday, the office took me. My my office decided I would not cover for a little while, not cover the beat. So I stayed home, mm. watched the Jets versus the Baltimore Colts. And as my luck would have it, Richard Todd had the game of his life. <laughs> <laughs> now, if Todd would have thrown four picks, right. he would have been the villain, and right. I would have been maybe right. a hero. Right. Right. But he, he threw like four touchdown passes. <laughs> and a, 
<laughs> and I'm watching the game, and Bob Costas is debating <laughs> oh, no. is debating my my tiff with yeah. Todd because the game was a blowout. Mm. So they had they had to fill time. Right. <laughs> so they spent the whole most of the second half. Trumpy took Todd's side. Trumpy being a former player, right. and Costas took my side. You know, you don't lay your hands on a on a writer, right, right, right. on a reporter. And the Jets at that time, Mike Kensel was the yeah, president. Was, he, right, right, right. Walt Michaels was the head coach. Who was the PR? Pre- oh, uh, Frank Ramos. Frank Ramos. <laughs> but Kensel uh, painted a picture where I was the provocateur. Mm. And uh, make a long story short, it's impossible. It's too late for that. But uh, I was interviewed by NFL security. Mm. And Todd was, I think, eventually fined. Something like fifteen hundred dollars, which back then, nineteen eighty one, it did something. Right. Yeah, right. Right. it is. But yeah, that was it. And then there was. Um, and what was your relationship with him after that? I well, mean, we shook hands. I, we shook hands. I don't think he ever apologized, from what I remember. We shook hands, and a year later, everything was fine. And he, he threw f- the five picks in the mud bowl. But then, <laughs> but then I remember him calling me afterwards. I, I over the phone, and I guess he talked about it. And then he came back to the Jets years later after they traded him mm-hmm. to the Saints. And we were fine. And I, But apparently something I must have written between then and now bothered him because he won't take my phone calls now. Uh, why would you want to call him? Well, I mean, uh, you know, if I want to talk about Jets history or, or whatnot. But he... Uh, I, I I must have called him a bust one too many times. <laughs> so let me let me ask you this. Yeah, you had um, you had to write a column tonight or today. Right. Um, I, I blamed it on Richard Todd. T- <laughs> okay. Is, uh, <laughs> is is Fitzpatrick coming after you next week? No, 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 no. It's it's too early. They're, look, he's he's play he's not playing well, but that's been the story of his career. Uh, I mean, not playing well. Not playing well, and then sometimes, and then bouncing back. You know, I did write. I he's got ten picks now, four mm. four touchdowns, ten picks. But he his teammates believe in him. They don't believe in Geno Smith. They trust Fitzpatrick. They don't trust Geno Smith. He's the quarterback. Todd Bowles stands behind him. Brandon Marshall stands behind him. It just for Jets fans though, you have to wonder. They're going to be up in arms. They're so desperate to find a, a franchise quarterback. You have to feel for them. This is a franchise that has not had a franchise quarterback since Namath left. Exactly. So, so, so how long? We, 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 you're talking about Todd Bowles. So, how long before he's on the hot seat? You know, Thomas George was here before, and we were talking about if you're a, a losing coach in New York, you got to give people a show. I mean, you can't be dull and 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 lose. I mean, like Herm Edwards gave us a show. Rex Ryan gave us a show. Uh, how long? And Todd is a good guy. I think he's a good guy. Oh, great but guy. He's not necessarily an excite. I mean, no, he's not. Very few NFL coaches are, are right. Mr. Personality. Let's right. face it. You know, right? And and, and right. we're all the writers are going through culture shock after after, after Rex, Rex Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> right. Right. So how long before um, before you know he starts feeling some heat? Well, if they have a disaster of a season and the ho- and the wheels fall off, then he'll be in trouble because that's the it's the way of life in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Woody Johnson wants results. But I, I think it would take them really f- just falling to pieces because he and McH- Mike McHagnett are joined at the hip. Uh, right. And, yeah. and I don't 
McCagnan doesn't seem to me to be a guy who makes snap judgments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it would take more than just not making the playoffs. Or yeah, have another seven I believe nine, so. Eight, eight season. I believe so. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I could be wrong, but right. that's the way I see it. Right. right. I mean, what what you've covered the Jets for a long, long time, and there's been a lot of futility. When you co- when you start covering the team, or you joined the paper in '72, when you start covering the Jets, do you think it would be this long? Before they, 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 well, I mean, do you think this long would go without them winning the championship or even getting in, in the Super Bowl? Well, I mean, look, they came, they came so close with Parcells in '98. Right. right. They were up ten nothing at the half in Denver. Denver, right. But did I know? Did I think the Browns would never win a Super Bowl? No. I did. Did I think the Lions would never win a Super Bowl? No. You know, there's some long-suffering fans out there, not only Jets fans, but. No, you you know you would think, you would think that after all the times trying to find their franchise quarterback, they would find one, but they're still searching and they're hoping that Hackenberg is the guy. But they have no idea whether he is or not. When are they and he was drafted ahead of Dak Prescott and Jacoby Brissett, for what it's worth. Right. But you, how, you know, it's so funny, and, and I guess it's not funny to Jets fans, but how every team around them seems to get the right answer. The Patriots, that's. They they lose Brady with penalty. Then then uh, what's the name comes in? You know the play. Now Zach Presc- Prescott uh, comes in. You're looking at Dallas, and you know that, I mean. And if you're if you're a Jets fan, how come we never get the right answer? I mean, why do we always always we're always like a half step behind? Is that just like karma? Is it like they're not getting the right? Is just bad luck? Bad? Dis- I mean, what? Why? Well, it's, it's it's bad karma. It's bad drafting. Right. I mean. You know, Penning, Chad Pennington looked like he had a chance, but he didn't have a big enough arm, and he was had a durability question. Right. Ken O'Brien was picked ahead of Dan Marino. That's the worst ever. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Marino. I mean, passing up on Marino, but a lot of a lot of teams did. Right. Yeah, a lot of teams did that. Yeah, that's right. But uh, um, you know, Vinny Testaverde almost right. again with Parcells, right. he almost turned out to be the savior. That's but right. and Sanchez, don't forget. At and Sanchez, that's right. Tw- Twice, twice in the AFC Championship game. The third year of Sanchez, that's when Rex Ryan wanted to turn him loose. And when he turned him loose, everything fell apart. Mm. And it didn't help him. He didn't surround him with enough talent. They started making bad draft choices. They brought in Derek Mason and got rid of Jericho Cotchery, which was a mistake. You know, So they didn't do Sanchez any favors, and Sanchez didn't do himself any favors. Right. Highlighted by the butt fumble. The butt f- <laughs> He'll <laughs> forever be remembered by the butt fumble. Right. Well, you, you, meant, you mentioned uh, that this, you know, as far as Bowles is concerned, you feel like he's safe unless they have a disaster of a season. But they're one and three now. They got, they're at Pittsburgh. They're at, I think, Arizona Ar- after right, that. Right, right. I mean, they're, they're going to be favored to be one and five after that. Then, then Revis is hurt again. You know, something happened with Revis today. Yeah, hamstring, uh, hamstring. Right, so <coughs> things are things are pointing towards disaster. Yeah, they are. But one thing I've learned about the NFL is you can't figure this league out. They're one and three, but I mean the Cardinals are not exactly lighting things up either. They they're right. one and two and entering today. Right. You just never know. I mean, who expected the Patriots to win their first three? Right, right. It's a crazy league. I mean, would it shock me if the Jets went to Pittsburgh and beat them? No, it wouldn't. And they, you know what? They're probably better off going away at this point. Right, right. exactly. Playing on the road. Right, right. So, right. you know, the, the Steelers got waxed. Uh, yeah, they did. The other, the last Eagles. week, right? By the Eagles, yeah. Yeah, so 
before we get from one and three to one and five, right? Let let's uh, let's see what happens. It wouldn't shock me if the Jets upset the Steelers. Right, right. Do you still love you know love what you're doing? Uh, you've been doing it for a long, long time. And uh, you know, here what you, what you, else could I do? Yeah, yeah, I know that's kind of that's, that's is kind of question. What I asked myself, what, what what would I do if I didn't do this? Mm-hmm. What would you want to do? Nothing, <laughs> nothing else. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's great. I get to I get to wear jeans every day. <laughs> I don't go. To, I don't have to go into my office right. hardly at all. Right. And I get to uh, participate and mingle with this very unique fraternity that we have. Right. It's not easy doing what we do, as you know, especially on deadline, right. but. The, the guys I work with, it's, it's just such a unique fraternity. And, you know, we we all love sports. We all love to write. And look, there's some jerks in our business, without a doubt. Right. But um, I, I wouldn't want to – if I had a – this would be the career. This would be the life that I would pick. Right. You, I mean, you can't make this up. I mean, I was just tell you, you talk to kids and they tell them, you know, when you do something that you really love, I mean, you sometimes, you know, you've, you've been to some Olympics and Super Bowls and all that kind of stuff. I never went to Olympics. Never right. went to Olympics. You didn't do it. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I'm putting you in the Olympics. You oh, could, okay. You could do an Olympics. But, you know, you, you know, whatever big events you've done, you're, you're there and you're thinking, wow, man, I'm getting paid to do this stuff. Wait a minute. You get paid? Yeah, I know. That I, I actually. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I didn't know you were supposed to get paid for oh, this. Yeah. Well, I. I'm How much uh, is it for this appearance, by the way? This, oh, this yeah. is free. <laughs> <laughs> no, you get paid for everything this the, else. This is from the bottom of your heart. Right. Now, here, we'll give you. A set of big, uh, right? So could you get the pens out of the out of the supply closet? Wait a minute! You mean I don't get any any money for this? Like a you were, you were like a tro- like a what about a screwdriver? <laughs> <laughs> the drink. I <laughs> thought you had a better budget than that. Well, we're working on this. All right. All right. <laughs> see now I see why why you're, you're gonna you're gonna help us with that budget right here. This appearance. I, no, I don't. I think this will be your last show. <laughs> see, this is why Richard Todd's it. <laughs> yeah. Now you, now you understand, right? <laughs> No, I mean, but Steve, man, some of the shit that would come out of Steve's mouth, man, was just, he was very, I mean, he's, in the past 10 years, you've been very tame. Maybe five, maybe five <laughs> years. But, I mean, Steve was just really just a real, you know, just kind of out there. He'd say anything. He'd be the ones who would ask the questions, you know. Then, you know you'd be in these tough but press see, I don't conferences. Like ask, I don't like ask question, asking questions in groups. I like, I prefer to do my one-on-one thing. Right. Because if I ask a question in the group, my question, which I think is a good question most of the time, right. will be on Twitter three seconds later. Right. So right. why should I help facilitate someone else's? Exactly. Right? And, and you, I mean, and also, I mean, we're all competitive, but between the post and the news, it was just such a a, a hell of a competition that. Oh, that made it, it fun. It, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. and it can't be anything like that anywhere else besides New York. Like that competition between two papers. It it's pretty intense, but there there's look. Boston has some. Oh, right, right. You'd be surprised. I mean, there's the competition. It's it's all over the country, I think. But it's of course it's more but intense you, but here. It, but right. it's intensified. I was going to ask you, how has this? Um, you know, you you survived so many eras. How is this digital era? You say error. Era. I've survived so many errors. <laughs> eras. Yeah. Well, we're not going to talk about errors, but eras. You know, you we we joke. We have like sort of Steve and I had this running thing. Like we had these tape recorders. And we'd have like the old cassette tape recorder, yeah. and we say we're never going digital. So we'd show. Remember, we had like the like the little uh, little square tape recorders. Yep. Uh, what was, I forget who made those. Um, I forget too. But look, see. Oh, not, well, you're not, but you're not digital. What, what do you mean? It's That's digital. 
Yeah, but we said we would never go digital. We always that. had those cassettes. But I think I think the reason I did because you abandoned me. I think you went digital before uh, I did. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> so once I saw that, I figured <laughs> it's, it's time. <laughs> but, but even this is like kind of like old school, right? This show, this is kind of digital. Like, you know, but I used to bring like those big, like like I figured it would tease me. I bit one of those big uh, box tape recorders, like reels or real tape recorders, yeah. and you put it on the podium. It would take up the entire, yep. the entire. Room. Yeah, that that was one of the things that separated you from the competition. Yeah. <laughs> you were the only one that had that. Yeah, there are a lot of places. Although I must tell you, I always was into the whole digital thing. I mean, I always liked. Digital. I was like cameras. Right, because like you used to go to that electronic store in Manhattan. What was the name of that B &H. one? B&H. B&H or... Or J&R. Or J&R, whatever it was. Yeah, you I, went to, you were, you, I thought you had some stock in that because you were trying <laughs> to direct me there one day. I, I told you, I said, I, yeah. Steve, this is it, man. This is the direction, you know. <laughs> but, you know, like in podcast. Do you have your own podcast yet? No, I don't. Should I? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd, be, you'd be great. Would I? Oh, no. You'd absolutely be great. Trust me. You would be... Wonderful, and it's simple. I mean, it really is. You would be wonderful on well, on I'm going to take podcast. pointers from you before I start my own. Yeah, well, you could do it. It's really, it's really. I'm, I'm surprised the post hasn't told you to do it. Well, I'll. You should ask. You should bring it up let because me, hold on, let me get that on tape. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring that to my editors. Steve, Steve, <laughs> Steve Serby needs his own podcast. Well, that's very nice of you. I'll, I'll take that compliment from a legend like yourself absolutely a legend that's always a kiss you of are death, a legend you know that that's a kiss of death no no you He's, are yeah well, <laughs> we're all we're all in the same area no. i don't i don't have a picture didn't i but let me ask you a question i don't want to bring up the tile thing more but wasn't there a picture of that i remember seeing that picture of somehow nobody ever got a picture of that of him attacking you there was a picture no don't forget it was 1981 right there were no cameras in the locker room at that time hmm if if there were cameras oh, that, in the locker room, oh, yeah. he would have been in oh, big trouble. Right. Been on video. But, but that never so so yeah. yeah. No video. Yeah, no yeah. video, no right. cameras. Oh, he wouldn't yeah. even yeah, I mean, that's what I meant. Today, no video. Yeah. 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 He'd be on video. Oh, he'd be yeah, that's like an assault charge. Yeah, it would have been. Right. Well yeah. it should have been. I was just even thinking. Now how we did, actually how did get the, post, away with that? the post actually filed uh charges, mm -hmm. um civil, civil charges, mm -hmm. but the DA at the time, a man named Dennis Dillon, ruled that I was not hurt badly enough. That's wow. I believe that's I believe that's what it was. <laughs> he was but probably a season ticket holder, <laughs> season ticket holder. Exactly. But I decided I didn't want to pursue criminal charges because I wanted to go back to work. Right. So I was off work for two weeks, and I remember though how apprehensive and anxious I was going back into that locker room. Yeah. Half the team would not talk to me. Really. Half the team because. Joe Klecko, who was very tight with Todd, mm. led the oh, pro-Todd faction. And ironically, Klecko and I are very tight today. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but back in 1981, he was loyal to his quarterback, which I understand, just as Brandon Marshall is loyal to his quarterback today. Mm. Um, but I remember uh, Lamb Jones yeah. would talk to me. Okay. I found it interesting that Lamb Jones and Wesley Walker, Todd's receivers, <laughs> had no problem talking <laughs> to me. I don't know what that meant. I think Gaston must have talked to me. Well, he's the one who almost, almost, he didn't he quite save, rescue you. saved your life. He yeah, well, he, lo he loved the publicity so much. I'm guessing right. he talked to me. Right. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, half, was, half the team would talk to me and half the team wouldn't. I got to tell you. For a little was, while. It didn't last long. That was such a, a unique group. Yeah, remember, I remember that my favorite time out of there was a strike. Remember the strike year? It was 80, 87, was it? Uh, when, when they would practice out of the park yeah, out there. Yeah. 
that I mean, that whole time was just so fascinating. And remember, they brought in scab players, and and the guys would be out there at Hofstra, and they were like throwing rocks and eggs. <laughs> I think eggs too. Eggs, they? yeah, throwing eggs. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun, and, and 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 it just seemed like some of the guys was just so disillusioned because I think for the first time, I think that's when it really hit them that they were really ultra replaceable. I mean that that they, they were thinking, you know, like typical football players. Well, that was 80, 87 when yeah. the, when the Giants Parcells started out zero and three. Yep. Parcells was. I don't want to say mailing it in, but it, I mean he had Lawrence Taylor playing tight end, <laughs> <laughs> and this they were defending Super Bowl champs, right. and that that totally destroyed their season. Right, right, yeah. No, that that was that was amazing. Uh, let me listen before in a couple of minutes we have left. What? A couple of minutes. I'm good till midnight. No, no, what are you no, talking well, about? listen, man, he's, they they, they got to go. What? Oh, no, um, <laughs> and we know you got to go too. Um, I have no life. Uh, I'll be here. <laughs> but how you know, what, what, you know? You cover everything, not just not just the Jets, the Giants. You cover everything. What what do you have like a um, who's what's the most intriguing franchise? I mean, the Jets clearly are. I, I found the Jets always be more intriguing than the Giants, but the Giants are always there. I mean, they're solid. Um, when you look at when you sort of rank the New York franchise in terms of intrigue. What are sort of who, who are the most intriguing franchises to cover? Wow, intriguing. Um, well, the Mets. I mean, the Mets have only won two championships in their history, mm-hmm. and some strange things happened to the Mets. <laughs> it's kind of in line with the Jets. I mean, right. Bobby Valentine with the mustache in the <laughs> right, dugout, right. And Piazza <laughs> with the jagged bat thrown at him by Clemens, right. and. And Gooden and Strawberry, right. you know what happened? The dead end kids, what happened to them? And uh, that whole team, that '86 team, yeah. and even the way they won was spectacular. Yeah, like the the game six in Boston. Yep, yep, yeah. So I, I would have to say the Mets. And um, what about uh, the Knicks? Yeah, well, then <laughs> <laughs> I know that's another podcast. Well, they, well, they haven't won. In, they haven't won. They haven't won since, no, they haven't won since '73, right. right? Since '73, yep. yeah. Right. Well, they've certainly had their share of coaches and turnover and GM and yeah, the Knicks are uh, right up there also. But uh, um, Frederick Vice. Oh my <laughs> God, that's right, Frederick Vice. Yeah, right. that's right. So you'd have to lump the Knicks and right right below the uh, Mets and the Jets, I would think. Right. Yeah, the Nets have always been kind of interesting, just because they, it's just been so hopeless. You know, they kind of flittering around and. <laughs> On the periphery, I mean, like permanently on the periphery. You know, you try to get it, even when they moved to Brooklyn. It's okay. Well, we're kind of close. At least you're. Do you know? In New York. Do you know why I used to cover the Islanders? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. But of course. But they were one. Okay. I mean, they were really. No, winning. no, no. They weren't good when I covered them. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I covered the, the the Mets that lose 103, the 93 Mets, and I covered the Islanders before they won their four cups. Right. Right. Yeah. No. I passed. They, they took you out. You know what? We're not going to give you a promotion now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I passed the baton to Larry Brooks, who got oh, to cover man. those four consecutive Stanley Cup champions. I mean, I covered Trottier when he was a rookie, mm-hmm. Clark Gillies when he was a rookie, right. and then when it was time for the Islanders to get good, right. I was on to something else. Right. You know, he, he, you know, Steve has just. That's more hockey than we've. Saw. That's a record. Like we've <laughs> talked about five minutes. That's a record. <laughs> What, so talking about hockey, yeah, five minutes. That's good. Really? Yeah, well, no. Well, you know, but but I, we we made a commitment this year that we're going to actually cover more hockey. We're going to actually go to games and you know and 
do the whole thing. Cause it's uh, you know, it's funny. I hockey players are really good to I deal know. with. I know. They are. They really are. They're they give you access. Yeah, they're, they're not uh, pampered, right? right? I think that's the, the key. They're not pampered. They right. grew up on the ice at fi- four or five years old. And they're, for the most part, I mean, look look during hockey games. They're, they're interviewed between periods. That's what I know, which is uh, it's unbelievable. You know, I mean, could you imagine interviewing these guys were interviewing basketball players between, you yeah. know, or even I think baseball players may be the worst. I think they may be the yeah, worst. Yeah, I, I agree. I think in general, I've always found that to be true. Yep. Yeah. That's when you could find them, when they're not hiding in the and players' I lounge. I know. And it is so scripted. I mean, it's like, it's, I mean, some guys, occasionally you get uh, come across somebody, I don't know who your favorite interview is. I mean, who's, who's sort of been your, over the, over the over time, the years? who've been your kind of real go-to people. David Cohn. David Cohn was good. He's a good one. Justin Tuck. Tuck was good. Um, Not Derek Jeter. You know, but no, <laughs> but I mean, Jeter was boring as hell. But you know what? I'll give him credit. He was accessible. Right. I right. mean, he wouldn't say anything, but he'd always. He'd, he'd, he'd be there. He'd be there. I did a number of Q&As with him, mm-hmm. and they got progressively more boring <laughs> as the years went on. He just got, he became more guarded and more guarded. Um yeah, the, uh, Mike Tyson I did a Q&A with. He was great. Tyson's great. Yeah, I sat down with dinner for him. He was a vegetarian. I don't know if he still is. Hmm. He had, for dinner, he had a boiled potato and a salad. Wow. Mike Tyson? Wow. What year was that? But that was before I guess Holyfield? he went off ears right. <laughs> and <laughs> became right. a vegetarian. That's right. That was a Holyfield take. That, that kind of turned him around. Yeah, but boxers are, I think boxers universally. Oh, Louis Carnesecca, one of the oh, all-time oh, greats. Come on, yeah. man. Louis is great. Yeah, you, yeah. Louis is great. Jay Wright. Jay Wright. Now, I, I, didn't, I didn't cover right. I mean, actually, I mean, I, a little, but not a whole lot. I mean, Jamal actually had more. Yeah, yeah. no, Wright's great. I, I wrote a book with Lawrence Taylor. I this is his second book. Now, and what was that like? Do you remember covering him? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What did Robbie, what did Rob, remember Robbie, uh, you'll burn in hell. Remember you'll burn yeah, in hell. Robbie Jones. Robbie Jones. You'll yeah, burn yeah. in hell if you follow Lawrence Taylor. But, but Lawrence, Lawrence didn't like doing the media. Mm-hmm. He didn't do, but he was, when you got him, mm-hmm. I would walk him out of the locker room mm-hmm. and he'll say, sir, but I'm not talking. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want, and you just kept asking him questions. And eventually he started talking and he was Unbelievable. Right. He was a tremendous quote. So he's one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, LT. Yeah. All right. Now, 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 just tell me about the books you did. You did the book. I just did two. I just did the one with LT, mm-hmm. and and then I did a, a book with uh, Brett Favre. His one year with the Jets. The the publishing company thought it'd be you know hey might be a good idea, and it it started out good, and then <laughs> of course at the end. He totally collapsed. <laughs> right. His arm gave out. His body gave out, and it, whatever. They but still published the book, but well, got, it, was it was not what they thought it would be, or what I thought it could be. He was, sending, he, he was sending pictures and stuff. He was. <laughs> was that in case during? you forgot? Yeah, yeah. No, I do remember that. Yeah. Oh boy, man, Brett Favre. Yeah. This is our guest. Uh, guest is great. The legendary Steve Serby, the New York Post. Um, you know, author, journalist, and and again, I started the show saying one of the most versatile journalists I've ever well, I've ever been around. Really, I mean, really versatile, uh, and a great a great guy. Not, uh, I mean, just very given of time, as you see, you know, doing this for free. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have to remind me of that? No, get my agent on the phone. 
Oh, man, no, you, Steve. This hey, it's my honor and my privilege because you're a legend also. Not also. You are a legend. Yeah. I don't consider myself a legend. No, but absolutely. Bill Roden is a legend, and, and this podcast is going to be a, a smashing yeah, success. What, what's your social? Do you do, do you do a lot of social media, like Twitter and Facebook, stuff like that? For a, a little bit. I dabble in it. Mm. I dabble in it. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, that that's... Again, I think I'm too busy listening to your podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you and the other hundreds of yeah. I, uh, no, we'd be optimistic. We're going to get this up to like the, the hundreds of thousands. Right. Okay. But seriously, you need to get a podcast, and because it's number one, it's, it's fun. It's fun. But you'd be really, you'd be really great, and you don't have to worry about any, you know, attacks. <laughs> let, let, me, let me ask you one I don't thing. trust myself. I, I would probably you, probably... you probably would get attacked. Well, I, well, actually, <laughs> actually, because you could probably say... Probably by my producer. You could, say, you could say anything. I mean, you know, you could say anything. You could actually have Richard on your show. Say, let, let's kind of just make you know, make make amends and all that. Why don't you... Why don't you kill him. I have an <laughs> idea. Why don't you call Richard Tyler? I should. You get him on your... Yeah. I should, that would actually be great. And then we... Yeah. We'll, we'll phone him. I think we'll he's at Bear Stearns in Atlanta, I think. You know what? I do that, and then and then what? Where and does just it go tell him, Just send my regards <laughs> at the very end. Oh, by the at, way, at the very end. Make <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right here, you have a hey, you know like, like what's the surprise? Uh, we got a surprise for you. Is it? Uh, we've got a uh, Richard. We've got a secret guest on the line. See if you can recognize his voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, make sure it's at the end. Hey, hey, man, Steve, thanks so much, man. Hey, my man. pleasure. Thank no, you. No, no, it's really a pleasure. You, did a gr- you do a great job as host, and you, these guys are great, too. Well, you got to hear, you, you listen to it first before you compliment Kevin Keating. Then you hear the sound. You know. Wait a minute, th- this was the rehearsal, wasn't it? No, no, this is it. Oh, this was the... I'm supposed to record this? <laughs> <laughs> I was saving my best stuff for the, for the real thing. Right. Here we go. We got you on video. We oh got you God. on sound. You know, uh, you know Jamal, now, now this, you could compliment Jamal. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. What should I say? No, he, he d- <laughs> I did already. No, he, d- he did a great job. Yeah. He d- d- he's a great sidekick, or how do you? No, that's that's fine. Sidekick. You know, but you should really, I mean, it's hard, tough to get a word in edgewise with him, isn't it? That's no. what people tell me, but oh, I haven't, oh, had, I haven't oh, had that oh. problem. Oh, really? Is that what people <laughs> And you've got a great voice. Yeah. Thank uh, you. He does, he does have a great voice. Don't tell him that, to, but he does have a great voice. He does. Voice. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to hear more of him on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay, say our guest has been... <laughs> Let's shut it down. Hey, hey, Steve, thanks so much. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Sports here at beautiful MetLife Stadium, where the Jets took another one on the chin, and um, here with uh, you know, on the soundboard Kevin Keating, video Bryce Kelly, and of course Jamal Murphy sitting across from me. And you know, <clears throat> um, Seattle obviously has got a great team, and right. you know we always talk about what athletes you know do or don't do. But I had a very nice conversation after the game with Cliff Averill who's a Seattle defensive end. He's, he's got roots in Haiti. And uh, recently, man, he was on, he's on a high because he um, recently completed a, a school in Haiti, in his community, in the community where his parents grew up. And, uh, you know, we, we spoke, you know, for a few minutes, but he was very, very excited, probably more excited about that. He's, I'm sure he's pretty excited about the game. Right, 3-1. and 3-1, and one. That's, that's a lot to be excited. But he was also very happy about... Um, what he just accomplished and, and all that. So I talked with him. So um, yeah, here's here's our interview. Here's what he said. 
how long was the planning, the planning process? Um, honestly, it took about seven, eight months before I uh, putting everything together and, and making sure everything was legit as far as for uh, the people we were partnering up with. But it took about seven months. It was last off se or last season where um, you know the, the, the opportunity presented itself, and we did it right in April. How, how did it feel, man, just to uh, to, to, to plan for something and finally, because I think you were there, right? Yes, yes uh, When, just recently? No, no, no. Uh, well, in April, we, we uh, broke ground on the actual building, and then um, this past week, uh, Jeanette, uh, who's uh, the, the, the main person at my foundation, <laughs> I, I want to give her a title, <laughs> and then my wife went as well. So I was like, how does that feel, ma'am? You, obviously, you've accomplished a lot in your life to do this, but how does it feel to actually see something like that actually come to fruition? It's awesome. It's amazing to be in a situation where you can do that. You know, go back to where your parents are from uh, and, and be able to make uh, build a school. I think education is huge. You know, if you're going to give somebody something, I think that's the biggest thing that you can give somebody. So uh, to be able to do it and actually see it coming in play is a, is a huge blessing and an accomplishment. What's the name of the school? And, and uh, Well, we were trying to get it named after myself. But uh, what's the, how do you say it again, Jeanette? LaShawn, the name of the school? That's the name of the school? Is that what we're, is that with the official name that we're going out there? What's the name? I mean, so it's in, it's, the Cliff School. Is that what we're going to, we're, try, we're, trying, to, we're trying to get it changed to the Cliff Averill uh, fam, Family Foundation School, but uh, we're in the process of trying to get it done. But it's in the, the community of LaShawn, Haiti. Now, now, just briefly, you grew up, not you didn't grow up there, you, you were born here, yeah, but your, par your parents were born in, in Haiti? Yes, both my parents were born in Haiti. Uh, they came over in 84, 85, and I used to go uh, every summer, actually, until my grandma passed away about 15 years ago. So, uh, you know, it's been a while since I've been back, but uh, it, it's great to go back and visit and see what's going on. It's just fine. I mean, we talked a lot about, in the last couple of years, athletes being in the news, either whether it's <laughs> LeBron and, or... or um, happening or whatever but I guess the point is that there's so much stuff that you can do and a lot of guys are doing you don't really hear about it a lot but it's this is very powerful and it's very it's just a good thing it's unfortunate that you know for the most part if you're not a superstar and doing some positive things you don't get any recognition but at the same time but you know if it's the opposite if you're doing some negative stuff out there they're ready to blast it you know it's unfortunate but fortunately for me I don't do it for the publicity I do it because that's that's what we uh, feel is right that comes from the heart and um, you know if people catch wind that's cool but that's not why I'm doing it and finally 10 years from now what would you like you know what would you like to be happening with the school uh, yeah, yeah, but let's say 10 years from now. 10 years from now, I would like to have the first graduating class that came through and probably do something for those kids, you know. Um, I think that'd be huge, uh, you know. Uh, I plan on going every year at least once, uh, if not more times a year, to check on the kids, check on the school, and make sure everything's up to par. You know, we provided uniforms, we provided uh, school uh uh, pencils and, and markers and all these different things, you know. Uh, so we just want to keep make sure the school is 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 up and running every year, and, and hopefully, you know, ten years from now we can see some of the kids graduate. Hey man, congratulations! Just just for the record, just say your name and and uh, say your name and let's say uh, the name of the school, the community. I'm Cliff Averill, Seattle Seahawks, and the name of the school. Yeah, I'm Cliff Averill, defensive end for the Seattle Seahawks, and uh, I just built my first school uh, in Lasham, Haiti, uh, and I'm very excited and proud to to be a part of it. Hey, thanks so much. Congratulations. Thank man. you, sir. That's great. I appreciate it. That's great. No, that was great. And it's a great way to end, uh, end the show. Um, you know, happy for him. And it's just, you know, just uh, a lot, there are a lot of guys doing a lot of really good things. Right, and you don't hear about it. I mean, that's, that's impressive. Right, yeah. Absolutely. For anyone, for anybody to do it, athlete, non-athlete, 
you get that accomplished, that's a big deal. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's it from here. I mean, I wish we could, you know, they had better news for Jets fans, but it's great news for Seattle. Uh, you know, sorry, Jamal and Kevin. Hey, that's man. just the way it goes. I think my fandom is, is uh, deteriorating. You're going to be a, become, become a Giants fan? Maybe I'll be Seattle. I'll be a true yeah, fan. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just be, just be blunt. Like, well, you yeah, know, whoever, I like Seattle. <laughs> whoever wins. Like, it's like I have a nephew who's about five years old. Whoever wins, that's who he's that's a fan. That's our Hey, Smart kid. This American way. <laughs> hey, everybody, hey, thank you so much. We got some, some, kind of, some good guests coming up. We got Kenny Anderson. Right. The legendary Kenny Anderson coming up. And, um, you know, you ran into Gail King. Yeah, we're going to try to get her back up here. We're going to try to get her back. That was a ball. Right. It was a riot, actually. Right. Get the great Gail King back and uh, a lot more folks. And, and of of course, as as always, follow us at Bros Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram's popping lately, so check that out. Um, Any questions, comments on the show, uh, email us at brospod at gmail.com. That's B-R-O-S-P-O-D at gmail.com. Follow our Facebook page, Bill Roden on Sports, and so we'll keep you, we'll keep you up to date on everything that's happening and there's big things popping here. That's right, right, right. So Kelly, thank you for those beautiful images, uh, Kevin, the great sound, Jamal Murphy, great energy, and we will see you guys. Well, we'll you know, well, well, I guess we kind of see you right now. Next week, they'll see us. They'll see us. Yeah, we won't see you, but you know. All right. Uh, <laughs> see you later. God bless. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.